Hello, and welcome to Thing of the Week, a podcast where two nerds talk about their most recent obsessions. I'm Nick. And I'm Luke. Hi, everybody. So, Luke, how are you? How's your week been? My week's been pretty good. Uh, I just want to say, the the reason that every time we do one of these podcasts, the reason I'm wearing a tank top like a douche is because I'm basically in my pajamas. Yeah, no, that's... I don't, I don't usually wear tank tops. No, it's all good. Yeah, I mean, you're you're not bothering me any. I um I just assumed it was because it was hot in the room you're recording in because it is in my room because where I'm sitting right now directly to my right is the air conditioner, which means that oh, I have that's to, nice. That means I have well no it's not because I have to turn it off every time we record otherwise oh. uh, my audio is just gonna go. Okay, yeah, that makes time. sense. I'm surprised you haven't seen me do this podcast shirtless yet. <laughs> and it's it's not possible in any way for you to move to the other side of the room or anything? I mean, my my whole desk is here, so like I'd have to move the TV to this corner mm. and my desk to the other corner, and, you know, at this point it's not really worth it, so... That's fair, that's fair. You're getting a new a new place soon, though, right? Yes, yes, so. I am. Um, oh, yeah. So, so hopefully you, you know. can work around that. Oh, yeah, no, it, it shouldn't be an issue uh, at the new place, so... Awesome. Oh yeah, no. So that'll that'll make my my recording a little bit more comfortable. But you know, good, good. This is how it goes. Uh, what about you? How's your week? Oh, not too bad. Um, just honestly, kind of you know stressing out because of like apartment stuff and looking for a place to live. But I've got that figured out now. I've got that on on lock now. So that's a big uh, relief. But um, oh yeah, good. Um. It's my uh, it's my sister's twenty first birthday today, the day we're recording this. The day it comes out, this the day people hear this, it's gonna be a few days later. But uh, yeah, it's my sister's twenty first birthday, which is an interesting day for me. Um, yeah. First of all, as the older brother, uh, I'm twelve years older than her. Uh, well, eleven in the moment, but when I turn, you know, whatever. Anyway, um, so it does certainly does make me feel old. To know that she is now 21. And the other side yep. of it is that um, she didn't turn 21 until after I had stopped drinking. So uh, she's going to have a lot of fun tonight. <laughs> and I'm not gonna, not really part of that party. But I have volunteered myself as a DD. So, you know. Uh, well, that was, that was a nice at least thing I know that for you to do. going to be able to get home safe. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, you uh, know, she's, she's, you know, she's still family, and I care about her, so of course I want her to get home safe. And I want everybody to get home safe. If you're going to go out drinking, please get a DD. Yeah. Yeah. You know, call a friend, call an Uber. Right, or an Uber, yeah. See, the town I live in, the Uber's not really an option. I don't, I think, there was one time, a period of time where we had one Uber driver in town. Really? And whoever it was, I don't even know who it was, but I mean, this is the type of town where I probably know who it was. Yeah. Uh, well, yep. you used to live here. You know how it goes. Yeah. Yeah. That I do. That I do. Uh, there was... It's uh, Living in a small town is interesting because you really do know almost everybody. Yeah. And you recall there was a little while when my mom worked at the gas station. And uh, uh, I do remember that we got a lot of free fountain sodas out of that. Yeah, yeah. And um, we were in high school at the time, and I specifically remember going in there while she was working and seeing another guy in my class buying booze. Oh God! 
Hey, did your mom your mom didn't card him? Uh, I think she, he probably had a fake ID. Oh shit! Okay, I didn't know that was a real thing. I didn't have the heart to tell her while she was working. Well, yeah, but yeah, I don't even remember who it was. It was it was one of those like one of those guys who was like cooler than us, but not like football player cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was kind of like I don't know, asshole cool. I guess I know the type you're talking about. You know, like like one of the screamo kids who hung out with like the athletes. Oh yeah, okay, yeah. God, small towns are weird. One of those guys who who was in one of the like three screamo bands that was around in in our town yeah. around that time. Yeah, God, yeah, screamo really did kind of take over our town for a while. <clears throat> well, screamo took over a lot of midwestern towns for a while. Yeah, yeah, it, it was it was rough. For guys like us who yeah. always wanted to start bands that weren't screamo. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, admittedly, like we, you and I, always kind of were chasing sounds that were from before we were born. A lot of the yeah. times, like you know, we were trying to start like thrash metal bands and stuff like that. And uh, no fucking teenager in the mid two thousands wants to start a thrash metal band. Yeah, or a prog rock band. Oh, yeah, no, that one, yeah, yeah. No, I tried that one hard for a while. I even tried to talk to some of the, like, some of the band kids into, like, doing a prog thing at one point, yeah. and they had zero interest in doing anything, because why would they? <laughs> like, that sounds like work. Like, you want me to, like, do math? I feel like a lot of those band kids weren't really interested in writing music i feel like a lot of band kids are more interested in analyzing and playing music yeah oh yeah yeah which i mean is a is a you know a fine way to approach music there's nothing wrong with yeah that. um you know we need people to analyze music and and perform things so you know no complaints there and plus there's a lot of good insights that come from people like that yeah um but yeah no they, they were never particularly interested in like joining bands and you know, playing to a party full of drunk teenagers. Yeah. What's new with you? What have you been? Do you do you have a thing of the week? I know we 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 vaguely talked earlier about not really either of us having a a really set thing of the week, but yeah, no, I don't really have anything specific. I think there are a few things, a few ideas we could talk about. Okay. Uh, yeah. So you you wanted to talk a little bit about music. Yes. All right. So, what do you got? I don't remember. Uh, I know I mentioned to you that Dave Mustaine has a new book coming out about Rust in Peace. Yeah. Yeah. Which that's right. Which interests me quite a bit. So the the whole book is just about Rust in Peace, like the making of the album, just the album and the tour and everything. That is my understanding. Yeah, that's. If you go to Megadeth.com, it's all over their homepage. Okay, I'm gonna have to look at that because that does sound interesting. That is, um, I don't know about you, but that's my favorite Megadeth album, Rust in Peace. That's, I think, my second favorite. Is Countdown to Extinction Extinction your first? It is. Yeah, that's it fair. Is. You know, I, I, uh, I, I really love Countdown to Extinction. Um, I think. I totally get why Rust in Peace is the consensus fan favorite. Sure. But to me, Countdown, I think, was... It had a more refined sound. And oh, yeah. if I'm being honest, it had a poppier sound. And I, you know, I spent, uh, I spent the first, like, 20 years of my life pretending I didn't like pop music because right. <laughs> uh, 
because you and me and all of our everyone we hung out with were uh, uh, were music elitists and yeah, it was forbidden to listen to anything that wasn't grunge or or uh, like hardcore punk or it really or metal. anything that didn't sound like it was recorded in like the 80s or earlier yep yeah it seemed to be there was a consensus for a while among our group that anything with any amount of polish if it was if the polish wasn't in the form of like technical proficiency then it was bad like anything with yep. any amount of like even production value was kind of like no yep um which was totally unfair of us. But anyway, uh, yeah, I, I think Countdown to Extinction has... It's it's definitely a slicker album. And it's a really, 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 really close tie for my favorite. Like, it's or mm-hmm. it's my second favorite, but really close. Um, but, uh, I mean, Architecture of Aggression is still probably my favorite Megadeth song. And that's off of Countdown to Extinction. So, that's you know, there's that. Yeah, that one was a banger. Oh yeah, pretty much, pretty much front to back bangers oh my on that god. album. High speed dirt. Oh my god, that that opening Jesus riff, it's just oh it's so, just, oh, just balls it's to the so wall. Good. Oh, I love that riff so much, and that weird blues solo right smack dab in the middle of it. Yeah. Oh god, that's a great song. Yeah, see what I mean though? Like it's really hard to mm-hmm. pick for me between Rust and Countdown, but I think I think Rust. For, I think the reason a lot of people prefer it is that it's. I think it was the first album to have like the kind of golden lineup of the Daves and Marty Friedman and Nick Menza on drums. And so, you know, but see, the on the opposite side of that, I think that Countdown might have been better in that that group had been playing together for a while. And so they were a lot tighter on Countdown. Yeah, uh, I think between that and just like really having a a bigger, more refined sound overall. And uh, I, I feel like like the stuff they did in the 80s all the way up to about like Rust in Peace was like super thrashy. And way then thrashy. the stuff they did after Countdown, like Euthanasia all the way up through Risk, A World Needs a Hero, it was like more poppy. And I feel like Countdown is like right smack dab in the middle of those two eras, and it's sort of the best of both worlds for me. I I definitely agree. Like, and see that point. Like, and I, I you know, like I you're kind of starting to make the case that maybe my favorite Megadeth album is also Countdown. So who knows now? I don't know. Now I guess I have to ponder that one for a little while. That's um, a good thing to ponder. I do remember. I don't know if you went to either of these shows but i remember when megadeth did a tour for the i think it was the 25th or whatever anniversary of rust in peace and they played the whole album live in their set and it was i think it was the first tour that david ellison had come back for and me and a few friends drove all the way to indianapolis to see this show because originally there was only a handful of dates and the closest one was in indianapolis me and a handful of friends drove down there. We got a hotel. We went to the show. It was great. Uh, Exodus and Testament were both there, which was crazy. And then, like, a few months later, uh, Megadeth was playing with some, probably with Slayer, in Chicago, and they were doing the Rust in Peace thing again. So I went to that show, too, and I don't remember <laughs> if you went with me to that one or not. All right, so you and I, we went to a couple of Gigantors together. Yeah, we did. We didn't go to the first one, though, which was probably the best one. 
Oh yeah, yeah. Dream Theater was there. Symphony, Symphony X was X. there. Yeah, great lineup. Oh um, man. But yeah. we we went to the second and third ones for sure. I don't. We did. Know how many other ones there were? I think there. But there was only three. But yeah, maybe four. Which sucked. Those were those are those are great shows. Yeah, they were. But uh, yeah, there was a long like probably like. 10 or 15 year gap where I didn't go see Megadeth at all yeah. live um, and then you, me and Jake went to see them during the Dystopia tour I think well, yeah probably was Dystopia I th- was that was that House of Blues? It might have been yeah, I don't even remember that god huh. see I also haven't seen Megadeth in a while so well, I don't I don't know when this pandemic is going to let up to a point where it's like safe to go see concerts again, but I would right. I'd be down for seeing them live again. Absolutely, definitely. Oh yeah, no, when they they put on a great show when, mm-hmm. you know, when Dave Mustaine isn't on the microphone talking about conspiracy theories and oh, stuff. Oh yeah, yeah. No god, yeah. Yeah, the less he talks the better. Um dude can write a great metal song, <laughs> but his brain is wacky. Oh, dude, he so, whenever people ask me who my favorite guitarist is, I never know what to say because I think that there are different, there are different subcategories of guitar playing, like yeah. leads, rhythms, who writes the best riffs, who's best at improvising, things like that, and I, yeah, I have yeah. a different response for each one. <clears throat> sure. Uh, I'd say that Dave Mustaine is probably my favorite riff writer. Oh, God, yeah. He, he's just, just written some badass guitar riffs. Oh, my God. Well, I mean, high-speed dirt is perfect example of a riff like who else exactly. but David Mustaine would write a riff like that yeah yeah <laughs> you know or or even something like like uh, peace cells it's not a technically challenging riff no but it's iconic no that that's part of what makes him a great riff writer i i i agree yeah e- even the songs that kind of get buried like yeah uh, like lucretia Remember that oh, song God, off of uh, Rest in Peace? I love that song. I love that, that song. So that much. opening riff is so just cool. incredible. Oh, yeah. Well, what I mean, what about the opening riff to Tornado of Souls? I remember That's another great one. When I was when we first started listening to Megadeth, just like, I had no idea that you could use harmonics like that. And make oh, yeah, it like sure. part of the riff, and it just blew my fucking mind, and I couldn't believe I was like, oh, my God. That's a whole other thing that I never would have thought to tap into. And the, Yeah, no. Dave Mustaine is is definitely probably my favorite riff writer too. I'm curious now uh, what your answer to some of those other questions are though. So like, who's your favorite lead player? Uh, my favorite lead player is gonna be Angus Young. Seriously? Yes. Uh, I love I love Angus Young's lead parts. They're not they're they're not the most technically proficient lead parts, right. but like. They're so good in spite of that. I've never actually gotten around to learning a lot of his his solos, but you know, I could sit I'm I'm not I'm not an amazing guitar player. I'm good-ish, especially, you know, being as rusty as I am. I haven't played much lately, but I, like I could sit down and I could learn some of those uh some of those leads and uh I I'd, I'd be fairly good at them. But they're just like they're so catchy i could listen to just an album of angus young's leads i i you know what i i dig that i dig that response a lot like that's a really interesting answer and i like it 
it's I think it's the perfect example of a, of a guitar player that does exactly what the song needs and makes the song better by oh man yeah god you're so right about that oh man wow that's a great answer okay I want to see if you have well if you have any other bangers for me who's your favorite rhythm player uh, I think it's obvious is it is it is it Tim no he's not particularly great at playing guitar no uh, I think he's a fantastic lyricist oh my god uh, yeah and he's become and, uh, a great singer. He's always been a good singer, but he's lately he's become a great singer. I I don't know that I agree with that. I actually feel like his voice is kind of uh, degraded over time. Um, Fair enough. Okay. But, uh, interesting. Uh, but the thing I do love about his vocals is there's so much energy to them. Yeah. It's, you know, they're not great, but it's just, it's electric. He can just light up a room. Just, oh, yeah. Uh, just singing. But uh, uh, my favorite rhythm player is James Hetfield. I, oh. I don't think. Yeah, that he, is like obvious, the, isn't it? Yeah, he's you know basically your prototypical rhythm guitar player. He you can't can't find anyone much better. No, yeah, I mean he's pretty. He's right there. Interesting, interesting. Okay, so what was the last one you said? Improviser. Uh, John Petrucci. Yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. He's actually my favorite lead player. Okay, that's fair. God, it's hard to say now. I'm trying to think of my answers. So, I mean, obviously, my favorite, my my best riff guy is 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 Dave. Yep. Uh, uh, JP is my favorite lead player. So, who's my favorite rhythm guitarist? Oh, that's a tough one. Greg Hetson is my favorite rhythm guitarist. He is kind of a journeyman, and he's been in a lot of different punk bands. Um, you would recognize him nowadays as the guy who looks like the bald guy from those uh, Six Flags commercials from back in the day. Oh, yeah. That would dance around a Venga bus. Yeah, he looks like that guy. Um, and he's been in, like, Bad Religion and Circle Jerks and a few other bands that I can't think of off the top of my head. And he's he's okay. pretty good, you know, in the pocket. He's good on the guitar, but what's really great is his stage presence. He just jumps around. He's a little guy, and he jumps around... And just has so much fun that it's hard not to pay attention to him. Uh, so he's my favorite rhythm okay. player, not necessarily because of his playing, but because of his stage presence. Okay, I like that. That's that's a good reason. Yeah, yeah. Uh, just fun to watch. Do you have a favorite for improv? Improv. Oh, Hendrix. Great answer. Yeah, Hendrix Classic. or maybe Clapton or BB King. Really, I mean, pick a blues guy. Pick a blues guy, and that's yeah. going to be my improviser. Uh, somebody my mom probably introduced me to. Okay, yeah. I, I like all those answers. Yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Okay, I got an, another one for you then. Who's? Do you have a favorite bass player? Um, hmm. Uh, if you're asking me who the best bass player I can think of off the top of my head, it's maybe Flea? Okay, yeah. Uh. Flea's up there. John Myung's up there. Oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Davey five hundred four. I don't even. Does know he who count? Is. Who's Davey five hundred four? Oh, you've never heard of Davey five hundred four? No. Oh, he's uh, all right. So he's a YouTuber, and he just makes ridiculous uh, bass videos. Okay. Okay. Uh, yeah. So his um, 
like uh, he'll do he'll do bass battles with with other musicians, uh, or he'll do uh, he'll just he's got his own subreddit and he'll just like scroll through and look at all the memes and react to them and things like that. Right. Really, the thing that makes his content so special is his delivery it's just so dry he acts unimpressed about everything he never smiles he never laughs but he also makes dumb jokes like uh uh he'll say like uh like 420 percent of people do this or whatever right 420 percent of people play bass that's hilarious i i that guy's i mean i like me uh, pretty much all the music youtubers so that dude sounds pretty much up my alley so yeah, gotta, yeah, he's he's one watch. of the bigger ones. I'm surprised okay. you haven't heard of him. Me too, actually. But now I'm glad I have now. I'm glad I have now. Yeah, yeah, definitely, uh, definitely worth checking out. But my favorite bass player, you know, I I might uh, I might just have to go with Joe Principe on this one. You know, I I I had a feeling you were, and and I think that's a an excellent choice. He's also kind of up there for me. Um. If anybody who doesn't know, Joe Principe is the um, bass player for Rise Against, and has been since the very beginning, if I remember correctly. I think so. Yeah, I, if not the I very beginning, he, early on. I think he and Tim were founding members. That's what I thought. I couldn't quite remember, though. It's been a while since I've seen that documentary. Yeah, and I, I think Brandon, I don't think Brandon's a founding member, but I think he goes way back to like the first or second album. Yeah. Oh, yeah. No, he's 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 definitely. I mean, as as good as an original member uh, at this point. Actually, I, I would argue Brandon's probably the best overall musician in that band. Oh yeah, yeah. I think so. I think so. Um, well, you know what? And if you're gonna be in a in what's essentially a hardcore punk band, um, that's probably the guy. You, that's the part of the band you want to be at its best is the drums. Uh, oh, for sure. You know. You want you want somebody to be able to hold everything together. Yeah, the the guitar and vocals don't even need to be good. No, no, they barely need to be there. And then the the bass just needs to yeah, you know, just kind of be just kind of be ballsy. Just yeah, ballsy, stay in the pocket and you're good. Um uh I will tell you who I think is not the best bass player in the world, and it's probably another person you probably don't know who he is, but um, Jerry Only is not the best bass player. He's not my favorite. He's the bass player for the Misfits, uh, and a founding member of that band. Are you still playing? Yeah, kinda. See, that's kind of the thing. Um, The most recent version of the Misfits I'm aware of had uh, Jerry Only, the bass player, um, become the lead singer. Okay. The thing about Jerry Only is that he can't sing, and he really can't play bass very well either. The thing is, I love the Misfits. I, I really love the Misfits, but, like, you know, they're not, like, masters of their craft. But I just wanted to get out there yeah. and say that Jerry Only sucks at singing. Um, <laughs> um, take that, Jerry. Yeah, take that, Jerry, guy who probably doesn't give one shot shit one way or another what anybody thinks. Yeah, so who is your, who is your favorite? I'm thinking about like kind of like punk bassists because uh, Joe Principe got me thinking about that. And I mean, there's there's Jay Bentley from Bad Religion who I think is really, really like incredibly popular as a bassist, but somehow also underrated uh, for what he yeah. brings to that band. There's oh shit, what's his name? Crap. Oh, I'm gonna sound like such a noob. 
Well, fuck it. I'll skip that one. Um, not exactly a punk bassist, but uh, Tim Comerford from Rage Against the Machine, I think, is is one of the best out there. Okay. But if I had to pick a favorite, it's going to be a pretty stereotypical kind of boring answer for me, and that's probably going to be John Mayung. That's fair. Good choice. So uh, just just a little bit of uh, of Rise Against trivia here. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. This information is actually a couple years old, so I don't know how true it still is. But last I heard, uh, Joe Principe's permanent home is a couple of towns away from me. Nice. In in the suburbs of Chicago. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. And uh, I I listened to a podcast that he was on. Again, this is a couple of years ago. Where he was sitting in a car with another guy who does the podcast, who runs podcast, uh, and they were sitting in the parking lot of his favorite pizza place, which is a place called Dan's Pizza. Because Joe eats and pizza every day. Of course, I think he, I think he has a pizza tattoo. He does. He does. I what I just said was a reference to the liner notes of their very first album. If okay. you look in there during like the uh, where they have all the thanks and stuff, at the very end it says Joe eats pizza every day. I did not know that. Yeah, you should check it out. <laughs> well, I can just take I mean, the vinyl is, off the wall. It, it is right there. I can see it from here, yeah. So, <laughs> But, yeah, I, I know exactly where Dan's Pizza is. If I were so inclined, I could probably just hang out there every day and possibly meet Joe Principe. You should. You should. And then ask him if he wants to start a band. He'd probably tell me he's already in one. Well, then you should ask him to listen to your demo. I, I could ask if I could join his band. Yeah, that'd be pretty cool. Who who is the lead guitar player for Rise Against? Is it still what was his name? Zach. Zach. Is it still him? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, still him. Yeah. I mean, I think you could get in there and mix it up. Maybe yeah, Rise Against been... needs three guitar players, like Iron Maiden. Maybe, maybe, maybe Tim can just stick to vocals, and I can I can play guitar. I will admit that, like when I watch videos of uh, Rise Against playing live, I always enjoy the ones where Tim's. Uh, on solo vocals um, the yeah. most because he's so much more energetic and I love watching that guy run around on stage. Oh yeah, he's like he's like swinging his microphone by the cable and jumping off the drum set and stuff. It's like you said, you can't help but to be pumped watching that guy. Oh yeah, for sure. Like, he's, I mean, he, he, he's got some stage presence, for sure. He does, and the energy that he fills a room with is like entirely positive, which is kind of amazing. Uh you know, you walk out, well, I've never been to a Rise Against show, much to my chagrin, as many times as I've tried. Oh, I'll, I'll take you someday when this oh, pandemic's well, as, over. As soon as we're able to, I, I want to go. Uh, because it is, like, I've, I've seen a handful of bands that, that when you leave the show, you always leave in just this, like, exuberant, positive mood, and, like, the vibe of the show just was such that, like, you just couldn't help but to feel great walking out of that building. Rise Against always seems like one of those bands. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They, they. Okay, so I'm I'm a fairly liberal guy, but sure, they Me have too. some views that even I think are a little, a little far to the left. And sure. uh, sometimes they'll they'll start talking about like uh, like PETA and oh, stuff yeah. like that. Yeah, and uh, uh, you know I, like you leave a little bit of room for that, but yeah. Uh, yeah, generally the message is is very upbeat. Oh yeah. Uh, except except when they're talking about the uh, the our current 
president. Well, oh, well, yeah. Uh, in yeah, which I case, s- it it turns very negative. But I suppose things are a lot different now. Um, you know, given the 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 climate. Um, yeah. But yeah. Uh, but still, I mean, it's still a band that I I have to get off my off my list of bands to see. Um, yeah, yeah. You and I will go someday. Absolutely. This is. I mean, how do we always wind up talking of like? talking about rise against well i guess it's because it's your favorite band and one of my favorite bands so you know it's always music or baseball music or baseball music or baseball oh yeah we're getting baseball back soon i know i know have you watched any of those like i don't know are they like broadcasting the i'm gonna i don't know are they skirmish games like i keep seeing clips online of like cubs versus cubs Hey, I don't know i mean i understand it's like their spring training but like are they broadcasting full games like that yeah, it's like uh, whatever the equivalent of training camp would be for MLB. Yeah, yeah. Like, like in the NHL, there's training camp, and right? They'll they'll do scrimmages where half the guys wear white jerseys, half the guys wear red jerseys, and they'll, yeah, they'll play together against each other. But uh, yeah, they they call them intra squad games or something like that. Right. Okay. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. And I believe they're streaming on like Facebook and stuff. Oh, okay. Well, that explains why I've seen it all on Facebook. Yeah, no, I I'm I'm I'll be happy to watch some baseball. At this point, I'll be happy to watch any baseball. Um yeah, I uh I don't have any particular um interests or or expectations for the season. I honestly, I mean in my own kind of pessimistic way, I don't really expect the season to to like happen. Or if I do, I don't expect it to go the full way before it, it stops again. But, you know, who knows? You think so? I don't know. I just, you know, I'm I I'm always been kind of a, a glass half full kind of guy. So so you know sometimes it's hard for me to kind of you know believe things, especially if it's something that I'm really excited for. So I hope it goes the whole time. There are a few things I think it'll be cool to see what uh, David Ross is like as a manager for the first time. Like I'm still excited for that. I think maybe uh, maybe a short truncated season might be good for him. Uh, considering this is the first time he's ever managed a team, which I still think is a little bit wild. That, like, it was obvious for a long time that David Ross was going to be a manager in baseball one day. Um, But you would have expected that, like, he would have managed, like, a couple minor league teams before becoming the manager for the Cubs two years after he retired from the Cubs. Yeah. Um, That being said, I really like him and I hope he's good. And I really want him to succeed just because I like him. Uh, so I think I think this can be a little bit of a practice season for Grandpa Ross. Yeah, I remember um, last season. It was like it was like July or something, like in the like the middle of the baseball season. Joe Madden still had plenty of time left to save his job, and uh, I I'd go to like barbecues and stuff, and I'd talk to people about like, oh, how do you think uh, how do you think David Ross is going to be as the Cubs uh, general manager next year? Right, right. That's it was joke. just kind of. It's just kind of one of those things that was, you know, preordained. Just, it, you it, just knew. It did seem like a foregone conclusion. Mm-hmm. Now, I knew that Joel Quinville was uh, was going to get fired. Yeah. I I knew it. You talked a lot about uh, that, I remember. Yeah, I was, I was certain. And when I talked to people about it, they're like, I don't know, man. We'll see. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, I knew it. I knew it. Not to brag or anything. But I am kind of bragging. I didn't necessarily want him to get fired. Well, no, no, of course not. 
course not. I honestly, I wasn't really sure if I was how happy I was about Joe Madden getting fired yeah. either. I kind of liked him. I do understand that there were some pretty big missteps, even in 2016. You know, in retrospect, you could see that Joe Madden had some flaws, and I think he was blessed by having a team with that amount of talent stacked on it that that he was able to kind of make some crazy decisions and have them pay off just based on the sheer talent that was on the team. I I remember seeing an like a, it must have been like a an onion article or a heckler article or something like that and the headline just said uh um Cubs announced they hired the manager they've had or no what the hell was it? uh Cubs officially hire the manager they decided on in <laughs> July or something like that. And it was like yeah no that that was very much the kind of the vibe of of that wasn't it like I still thought it was a, a, a quick yeah. turnaround, though. What exactly happened when when Q got fired? Because I really wasn't following the Blackhawks much around that time. Uh, Q was basically the fall guy for Stan Bowman's roster mismanagement. Okay. All right. Yeah, that. I mean, unfortunately, that kind of thing happens a lot. Yeah. Now, it's it's really in vogue right now to hate on Stan Bowman. So, you know, I'm I'm comfortable doing that uh, for the most part. I, I do think that he's made some some big roster mistakes and he has he he hands out uh, big contract extensions without the guys really earning them a lot of the time. Like the Seabrook contract is probably a fire in a, a fireable offense in and of itself. But there are lots of more minor examples of things like that. You asked me a question. Uh, you you asked you asked what uh, how how the whole Quinville thing went down. Yeah, so uh, let's see. Uh, the 2017 playoffs happened. The Hawks got swept by Nashville after winning the Wef- the Western Conference in the regular season, and they traded away Nicholas Jalmerson and Artemi Panarin. And then there was that death march of a season in 1718, when uh, Crawford suffered a concussion in like December. And we had, like, fourth-string guys in goal the rest of the season, and we had no prayer of making the playoffs. Uh, And then, you know what? I will say, every coach has a shelf life, even the great ones. Scotty Bowman got fired, like, like, five times or something, you know? And he's the greatest NHL coach of all time. If Q had to go, fine. But I don't like the way that they did it. I don't like that they fired him, like, like 15 games into the season and like they 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 could have let him go in the off season and given the new coach a full training camp to implement their system and stuff they could have let him play out the rest of the year and just seen how it went because we missed the playoffs anyway did that answer your question there's a lot of rambling it did it did it did it did definitely answer my question so is there gonna is there gonna be hockey this year there is uh okay it's uh, it's it's kind of uh, kind of amazing actually because not only did the players union and the uh, the league agree uh, on a format for a return to play, they agreed on all the conditions to like actually return and start playing. It's it's all it's all set in stone now. It's going to happen. But while they were doing that, they also managed to extend the collective bargaining agreement. And they're going to send NHL players back to the Olympics. And those last two things are particularly 
amazing because uh, in the case of the CBA, in the Gary Bettman era as commissioner, every single time the CBA has ended, there's been a lockout. And they just extended it. They just, they figured it out. They just, in, in the midst of all of this other crap that's going on, they figured it out. And they agreed to send players back to the Olympics, which is a big point of contention two years ago, I think. It, I believe it was, yeah. I actually kind of remember that now. Um, that's fantastic, actually. I, I didn't know about those last, well, any of that. Um, and that's all great news. So yeah. Um, I think this this might be more of a hockey year for me than a baseball year for me. But I think it's going to be a less of a baseball year for everybody this year. Yeah. Um I I wouldn't get too excited about the Hawks just yet though because uh oh, they're yeah. well one they they've they've been having their their training camp and there are a lot of key players who are quote unfit to participate. And that's the term that every team has been using because they're trying to like respect people's privacy when it comes to injuries and illness. And, you know, they don't want to tell you if a guy has a migraine and he's just taking a maintenance day or if he has full blown COVID and he's in the ICU on a respirator. But yeah, uh, Corey Crawford's not there. Uh, Connor Murphy's not there. Uh, DeHaan's not there. Uh, we know that Andrew Shaw won't be there because he's still recovering from his concussion. A uh, lot of pretty big names who are not going to be there, who are really going to affect this series with their absence. So I I don't, unless Crawford comes back, I don't see the Hawks getting past this, uh, this play-in round. And then beyond this year, uh, like, like I said, they, they extended the CBA, but there are, so the NHL is a hard salary cap league. Kind of like football, but actually a little bit simpler, I think. Um, it's like baby's first hard salary cap league. Um, <laughs> right, okay, yeah. And uh, uh, the the salary cap is... It's more or less based on like the profits, uh, the money that... Uh, uh, revenue from all hockey-based uh, things come in, like, you know, sales of merchandise and sales of game tickets and things like that. And... Since there aren't going to be ticket sales for the foreseeable future, they're basically keeping the salary cap flat for the next two years, and uh, it's only going up by $1 million in that third year, which is really bad for a salary, like a, a cap ceiling team like the Hawks. Right. Who, well, yeah, yeah. That does not leave them a lot of wiggle room at all. Yeah. And uh, a lot of the time... What happens in situations like this is that the league will grant teams compliance buyouts, which means that, uh, you know, you can buy out a player anytime, but there's like a calculated amount of their cap hit that goes against the salary cap for a certain period of time. With the compliance buyouts, that doesn't happen. You can just buy out anyone with, uh, uh, with no like punitive action or no uh, penalties against your cap hit. And they're not getting that. Teams aren't getting that. So, yeah. So it, it really complicates an already complicated situation. And and we've got some restricted free agents to sign too. Right. Oh wow. Okay. Yeah. So that's uh that that'll that'll be tough to navigate. But you know, it's still I don't know. It's gonna be fun just to watch sports. I feel. Oh like, for sure. For, for me anyway. You know. Yeah. 
Yeah, it's as as a fan of Chicago teams, it is one of those things where we really kind of it's it's really kind of once in an era that we get to get really excited about a team. Yeah. Remember when the Bears were exciting for like six months? I do, kinda. Was this the most recent time? Yes. In yeah, like I do remember that. 2018 or something? Yeah, I believe it was. I, I was very skeptical going into all of that hype, and I'm, I'm, I am uh, I came out the other side of that vindicated. I, I re- The thing I remember about that year is that they, I think they lost their first two games or something. Something and, like that. And Bears fans who just are inherently pessimistic. Uh, oh, yeah. For, for a good reason, of course. Uh, I'm all these all these Bears fans in my life who are just again inherently pessimistic, permanently glass half empty people. Were just like, oh well, you know, it's just the Bears being the Bears, and then they started winning, and I think they I think they won like ten or eleven games that season or something. It was something like that. Yeah, it was a, a pretty good season. Yeah. And suddenly everyone's talking about them being Super Bowl contenders, and then the double doink. And we went into the next season thinking that they were gonna do it again, and they didn't. Yep. And then it was it was back to the the whole glass half empty thing. Yeah, pretty much. I mean that that's a pretty, a pretty good summary of how the whole thing went down. So for baseball, for baseball, uh, I I was I've, I've been working on that scoreboard, except I haven't really made literally any progress since we last talked about. it. <laughs> Okay, yeah, fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, I did finish those cornhole boards, and I did build a shelf for all my pink hands. Hey, well, that's that's good. That's handy. Yeah, and it turned out pretty well, if I do say so myself. But uh, I started thinking, you know, baseball is going to be here in a week, so I should really at least finish one side of that scoreboard. So I've been trying to, I've been trying to figure out how exactly I want to get all the lines on there. I could. Because, like, the green part, is, it's all painted with the chalkboard paint. I just need to get all the white lines on there. And and the text, like, you know, where it says National and American and, uh, like, the box score and stuff. And I'm trying to figure out how exactly I'm going to do that. So, and, and here's a solution I came up with. I have that projector. And what I can do is I can project... Actually, this is how I traced the the shape of the, the scoreboards, too, is uh, I pulled up a picture of the actual scoreboard. I projected it onto, like, my big sheet of plywood, and I traced the shape. And then I cut it out with a jigsaw. Uh, so my thought is I can do basically the same thing, and I can trace all the lines and the lettering. And then I could either paint it in by hand. I don't love that solution because I feel like the lines will just look sloppy. Yeah, yeah, I, I can understand that. So what I decided to do is I got a bunch of uh, sheets of label paper. Okay, yeah. And I'm going to just cover it. Just cover it in label paper. I'm going to do the projector, trace it in pencil, and then I got an X-Acto knife kit. Uh, okay, there he is. And yep. I'll just, just make the, big, the whole thing one giant stencil. And then just paint the whole white spray paint yep yep that's a that's a that's a pretty clever solution i hope it i hope i hope so Uh, i hope it works i'm anxious to see if it works so uh yeah no i'm 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 awaiting an update on that one i can't wait to see how that goes i i i think it might work i think it i think it'll probably work i'm i'm cautiously optimistic yay well that's good that's good 
Yeah, uh, so that's that's the Wrigley side. I still have a ton of work to do on the Comiskey side. Um, the well, uh, I mean, you're working on the side that matters. So <laughs> I, I I can tell which fan which team you root for. Oh, I mean, is it that obvious? <laughs> Am I that transparent? Uh, but yeah, once once all the lines on there, the Wrigley side's pretty much done. I mean, I might want to. You know how they've got the they've got like the the flagpoles, like they've got the yeah. There's there's three the American flags at the top, and then they've got each of the divisions. Uh, right, all the teams from the divisions the and their flags in the right. Uh, in yeah, the, for the standings. Yeah, I might do that. I worry that might make it too tall because it's already it's already going to be about six feet tall or so, and that would like that would like double the height. So I might just skip that. Yeah, I, I would maybe, yeah, that that because, yeah, you're going to make it pretty tall if you start doing that, so. Yeah, and it's just going to sit in my garage, and my garage right. is. Yes. I so, you, I mean, you're not even really going to have to worry about the wind blowing the flags anyway, so I, I think yeah. I think the flags is a is a final mission. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, and then on the on the Comiskey side, I, uh, so I bought a table saw, which is a, which is a, a big, big step for me. I feel like a big boy would, woodworker now. Oh, yeah, you're a regular Nick Offerman now. Yeah, um, he could he could school me in uh, carpentry though, and whiskey drinking, and mustache growing. Yeah. So I think my dad still has a one up on Nick Offerman's mustache. Yeah. Yeah, you remember my dad's mustache? I I never met your dad in person. Oh. I seen just seen pictures. Oh okay. Well, still he had a pretty epic stash. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Um, but yeah, the the Comiskey side basically, I everything I cut out, I cut out with the jigsaw. So some of the lines are a little little wavy, a little jagged. So um, I kind of want to get like a belt sander or something and just sand them a little flatter. Yeah, get them a little smoother. Or I don't know, maybe I could put them through the table saw and just trim like a quarter inch off or something. Yeah, I mean if you do that, just be careful. Don't take too much off. Yeah. You don't want the lines to get wobbly in the other direction. Yeah, true. So, you know, either way, you know, I think I think either one's a good option. Just, uh, yeah. well, you know, I mean, you're not an idiot, so you know how to exercise caution. Oh, that's where, that's where you're wrong. I'm indeed an idiot. I'm a cautious idiot, though, so, you know, maybe it'll work out. That's a step in the right direction, yeah. Yeah, yeah. I can appreciate that. Although, uh, do you know what a riving knife is? I don't. So, uh, on a table saw, the riving knife is, how do I describe this? It's like the metal piece that comes up behind the saw. Like, if you're, if you are standing in front of the table saw, and the blade is on, and it's spinning, and it's spinning towards you, you'd never, like, stand directly in front of it when you're cutting, because that's not safe, but, uh, the, the riving knife, the riving knife is the thing that comes out of the um, what's it called? It's like a it's called like a throat hole or a throat pipe or uh, I forget. But uh, it, it comes out behind the blade, and the point is that it stops you from like passing the board over the blade and then turning it on to the far side of the blade, which could cause kickback and basically shoot a board right at your face. Uh, so I learned about that recently. Um, and that you're not supposed to take it off. And I definitely used it without the riving knife a couple of times. Uh-oh. So, oh, boy. Uh, no, n- no, no harm came to me, but uh, I now know to use that. So, Well, I mean, so, you know, you're learning. You're, you're, you're yeah. an 
You're you're a learning idiot, which you know. Yeah. More than can be said for some of some of us <laughs> out there. So that's all we have for this week. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen, for listening. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Breaker, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, and Spotify, with a new episode probably every single week. We'll talk to you next week. Goodbye. See you. All right. Don't hang up. Don't hang up, Luke.